Kristen Walker. Yay! I need to get a sound. <laughs> I need a sound effect for that. <laughs> but uh, so, as promised, today I have a very, very special friend of mine in the house. She's kind of like my surrogate wife. We co-parent. I'm gonna cry. <laughs> uh, but uh, Brian Welch is in the studio with us today. You are my first guest in the completed studio. It's so cool. It's so cool. <laughs> the he hutch. <laughs> The he hutch. I might get high on paint fumes, but it's so cool. Thank you. I, I put a lot of work in this in the last couple months. So, uh, Brian, I called you here particularly because uh, you have a uh, wonderful little child that, again, we are seriously co-parenting. Co- Y'all yes. don't believe this, but we co-parent. No, it's it's real. <laughs> when he's in trouble, I call Timmy. <laughs> And we haven't had many calls this summer, so I'm glad no. about that. But um, you and you have a um, so tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do, and then we'll go on to the second. Yeah, part. so I'm a professor of philosophy at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Um, my area of specialty is interesting. It was my area before my child was born, but my area is on family and the intersection of family and public policy. Anyway. Um, So I'm particularly interested in the way that family shapes public policy and that public policy shapes what families look like. Um, And so I was interested about in that anyway. And then I am a single parent by choice. So I knew that I wanted to be a mom, but I also knew that being someone's partner was probably not. I don't need no man right now. I'm great at. (laughs) Um, So I adopted um, and was really, uh, uh, I was I was very excited to be a parent. I was matched very quickly. I was, and still am in many ways, but I, I definitely was like a nice white lady who had no idea what she was <laughs> getting herself into. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so I am, a, I am a white single parent with a young black child. So we're a visibly non-traditional family. And so now all my philosophical work like is lived daily in weird ways. Okay, so we're going to do a little bit of a deeper dive into that sure, uh, sure. later on, but... Uh, one of the things I want to discuss with you um, is the really, really restricted abortion bill that we have now Ugh. in our state. And, you know, my problem with uh, restricting a woman's right is first you're restricting a woman's right. Let's mm-hmm. just start that there. But even when it comes to the children, like, you know, these people who came up with these rules are like, you know, we have, these children need to be, they need to live, they, they can, we can adopt them out. Um, and the system is stacked against black and brown children yes. already. And people don't realize how badly it's stacked against them in the, in the adoption system. So one, I want you to talk a little bit about your uh, feelings about this restrictive abortion sure. law. Um, and then we'll go the latter part into the adoption fiasco. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, one thing I always say to people when they say there's always adoption is raise your hand if you've ever watched a mother say goodbye to her child. Because I have, and it's not something I would wish on other people. Same, same. Um, and so I think there's there's kind of a callousness of framing adoption like it's some sort of solution <laughs> to something else. Um, I don't think that... <clears throat> so, so, first of all, I think the question of 
abortion, what I typically say to people is, look, you're going to have to give somewhere, right? So the same people who are opposed to abortion are often also opposed to access to contraception. They're also opposed to access to health care or financial material assistance and social support that would make carrying a pregnancy determine raising a child a viable option. And then they're also opposed to adoption tax credits. And so adoption is, for most people, prohibit prohibitively expensive, right? Yeah. I got really lucky because I have parents who built a nest egg that, <laughs> that they then said, like, well, you don't get it when we die now. You can have it now. Here you go. Um, but most people don't have that. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think, um, I, I, I think one of the things we do when we talk about abortion versus adoption is we look at this as, like, a single mother faced with a single choice. And we say, like, well, what kind of woman – would choose to terminate a pregnancy rather than and i think like that uh, it doesn't seem obvious to me that the morally appropriate response is to say like we will make her say goodbye to her child and um you know uh my son's first mother was treated horribly nobody treated her like this kind of saintly creature we right. built up um she was treated like a monster she was treated i think no worse than she would have been or no better than she would have been if she was walking into planned parenthood for an abortion right right um and yeah so you know i think we say well there's always adoption and adoption as a system is set up to favor middle and upper class parents and since it's set up to favor middle and upper class parents it's set up to favor white parents right um social support systems are more readily in place social and material support is easier to access if you're white so black women are more likely to have to be facing a choice about adoption um and i think like Something's gone wrong if you've devised a system where you're telling black people that they have to trust white people with their babies. That that's the because <laughs> yeah. um, I, I don't think we should be trusted. <laughs> some of y'all can be. Some of y'all can be trusted. <laughs> um, so so yeah, I, th I mean, I think people don't think of these as like social forces, right? right. So um, it, it bothers me when <sighs> the abortion bills bother me independently, but it bothers me when the response is this false dichotomy of abortion or adoption because the other option is you provide the material and social support that would make this woman parenting her child if she wants to an Easy. option. Right. And and then and and even if they decide to keep the babies, I mean there's nothing in place if you're poor already, there's nothing in place to kind of help you navigate what what living in poverty and raising a child is like. No. You know, and sometimes I don't know. A lot of times, I think it's just because that we've been guilted by religious beliefs that you should not terminate a pregnancy. Um, but for me, and this is my opinion personally, I think it's worse to bring a child into abject poverty than to terminate a pregnancy. I mean, if you terminate the pregnancy, you don't have a fully formed being that you know and they have a name. And I think it kind of it dehumanizes it in a way to make it. I guess easier for the for the mother to say, okay, I, I'm not putting this child through a whole lot. But then once they get here, you know, you see, I see kids all the time who have parents who are homeless. Like you ride downtown, sometimes you'll see these women with these little kids that are on the street, mm -hmm. and I'm like, I don't know if I really want that life. <laughs> you know, I mean, like seriously, and I'm not someone who's who's like has a suicidal ideation or anything. But I would not, I would rather not be here than to live that life, you know? Yeah, and I mean, I also think those arguments about abortion, so in the interest of full disclosure, I'm just not bothered by abortion. There's no, I don't feel any tug about it. Right. I don't, I'm not, you know, there's there's all this talk from both sides about like, well, we can all agree we should reduce the number of abortions. 
Except insofar as abortion likely means there wasn't access to contraception and healthcare, I'm not even sure I'm on board. With or or that comprehensive thing. sex ed. Yeah. You know, working in my field of HIV, I mean, they came out, all these kids got they got HIV. They're young, they're black, but we don't even tell them how to protect themselves. No. And the the real deal is the same things that protect you from HIV are the same things that take you for protect yes. you from pregnancy. Yeah. No, we don't talk about that, and we, um, so. I don't share the kind of um, this is yeah. This is just full disclosure. I I don't share the same like sadness or regret feelings about abortion that other people seem to have. Like people who support a woman's right to choose who still say like, well, it's regret. I think like I just I don't. Feel, I, it seems to me like a medical procedure. Right. By the way, the other problem I have with the um, adoption narrative is that under almost any other circumstance, if you compel a competent adult to undergo a medical procedure against their will, it's assault. It is legally assault. And so the idea that we are telling women that they have to undergo this, in many cases, Mm life-threatening medical procedure um, is just, you know, the thought of saying to them, like, no, you will have to have this person's hands between your legs and you will have to, I mean, that to me, that is so beyond my comprehension. But all these abortion arguments are wrapped up in like, oh, the inherent dignity of the child, the, in- you know, it's a person. And I think like, well, then treat them like a person. Right. But you don't treat them like a person, right? You, you, you don't even treat the person who's pregnant like a person. No, you treat them like some, you treat the fetus like some sort of cause <laughs> um, instead of a, right? And that's, I mean, the same thing happens in adoption, right? Is that people treat children like causes or, and it, it's not, that's dehumanizing. Right. I don't know that I think abortion is dehumanizing, but I, Definitely think. So I got in, so I got into this really, really heated argument with a friend the other night. And we were talking about the case of a young lady who um, escalated escalated the fight. Oh, my gosh. But what, was... I know. But, <laughs> but listen to this, though. And I'm still looking at him like, you're missing the point. So um, there was a young lady in Birmingham who escalated a fight. And the girl that she was fighting shot her in the stomach and, in the ba- in her, and killed her unborn child. And the girl who shot her got no charges. And they were going to charge the mother who got shot with manslaughter because, quote, unquote, she started the fight. So I'm like, so are you saying that pregnant women can't fight or they can't start fights? Because you're literally letting the person who shot the gun go scot-free. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's really ridiculous. Also, so the other thing that's funny to me about that is, so it's, it strikes me as clear that what Alabama in particular, not not exclusively, but Alabama in particular wants a case that makes a court say a fetus is a person, right? Mm-hmm. You get a fetus as a person, you pick up the 14th Amendment, and it's game over, right? Um, so it's clear that that's what they want. But I also just have, like, even if it were a child, I just, I, you, I think you know this about me, I reject this culture where children are more important than any other human that has ever <laughs> walked the face of the right, earth. Right, right, right. And what they went after this woman for was basically, like, you acted in a way that produced harm to a child, um, you acted in a way that would have been unproblematic. And I mean, it, it, what, you know, it, we would never have charged you with manslaughter. Not her. But I think, like, she has rights. She has rights. She has rights. If she wants to pick a fight with somebody, pick a fight with somebody. Now, does she have a right to hurt, punch somebody? No, but she can instigate whatever she wants to instigate. And this idea that, like, Oh well, she's pregnant now. Her whole life is in service. But get 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 the argument that my friend was putting forth was self defense of the woman who got, who quote unquote got attacked. Now 
I've read a lot about this case, and there was some ongoing beef between the woman who was pregnant, her husband, and the woman who shot her. But the fact that just because this woman is in self-defense, and this is the argument, and this is the argument that I put forth that he just couldn't find a way around. I said, so let's just say this. You and I, just, yeah. just say it's me, you, and let's just say Rocky. Okay. So <laughs> me and you are fighting. Yeah. I'm the aggressor, so I'm, I'm coming towards you. Yeah. In self-defense, you pull out a gun, and instead of shooting me, you shoot Rocky. Yeah. But you're not going to be held accountable for shooting Rocky because it was self-defense. Yeah. That was his argument. Right. That because it was a self-defense. somebody else. In self-defense, everything else is okay. No, it's not. No, it's not. I say this to <laughs> students all the time. There's permissible and impermissible self-defense, right? right? So um, if somebody comes in here now with a gun, I, I can attack them. I I'm a wuss, but I so but I could. Right. What I cannot do is pull you in front of me as a human shield for the bullet. Right. right. That's not a legitimate instance of self defense. Absolutely. Um, and it's funny because in the abortion literature and philosophy, this comes up a lot. So one of the most famous examples that I think is so simple and is like, imagine that you wake up and in the middle of the night you've been kidnapped, unbeknownst to you, and there's this like famous musician. And he the only way he'll survive is to be hooked up to you for let's say nine months. He's innocent. He didn't mean for this to happen. But it's now the case that if you unhook yourself from the violinist, he's going to die. Oh, wow. Right? Wow. So what she says is, does in, if anybody has a right to life, her, her whole point is like right to life doesn't do what you thought a right to life did. So she says, look, if anybody has a right to life, an innocent adult violinist has a, has a right to life. Right. Is it un okay to unhook yourself? Yeah. Because you know what his right to life never got him? A right to use your body without your consent. It never got him. Even if he had a right to life, he didn't have a right to use your body without your consent. Now, wow. what she does say, though, right, is if you unhook yourself and miraculously the violinist survives, you can't then, like, pummel him to death. Right, right, like, right. right. You're, not, you're not entitled to do that. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, you're entitled. Because the only person, and it's funny because I teach this to college students, and all we beat into college students is consent, 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 right? Like, consent of your body. And if you... Start by thinking it's okay, and then you change your mind. It's supposed to stop. So, so the so, argument against that would be, well, you had sex. You knew the, comp ah, the consequences so, of having sex. So what's, that, what's the retort on the that? The retort on that is this. Um, that is a view of implied consent that says anytime you do X, if you know Y is a possible outcome, you have consented to Y. So the example that I use to make my students feel like terrible people, basically, is <clears throat> I am a woman. And so I am constantly warned against walking to my car alone at night, right? That's, um, and everybody knows why, and we know why that's a risk. To say that if you, if you do X and you know that Y is a possible consequence, then you've consented to Y, is to say that if I walk to my car alone at night and I am assaulted, I have consented to the assault. Oh, my God. Because I knew it was a possible consequence of what I did. Oh, my God. Brent, I didn't want to have... Y'all, seriously, like, I'm in geek heaven right now. He is. And He's grinning I, I, like crazy. Because I love conversations like this. Yeah. And and I we've had little conversations like this. I love this conversation because I never thought about it like that. Yeah. Because people will say, and, this, and, and it's interesting that you use that particular example because this is what I tell people. Even people, the only people, the only people who have sex with the intent of getting pregnant are people who probably can't have babies. The average person <laughs> who... Goes to bed with someone, even if that mayor is not banking on having yeah. a baby coming out of that. Yeah. They, they just aren't. You know, and if they get pregnant, then okay, fine if you want to keep that baby. If you yeah. don't, you should be able to terminate that particular pregnancy. But the only people 
who go to bed trying to have a baby are people who have experienced infertility. The rest of the people are just fucking and they're just <laughs> trying to get it in and bop pops a baby. You know? Yeah. And that's that's it. Yeah. The other thing, and this is the the other philosopher, this is Thompson's response to the it so um speaking of infertility, we know that abstinence does not guarantee that someone won't get pregnant because they might be sexually assaulted. But what this means is that merely in virtue of having the equipment a woman has consented to a pregnancy, mm-hmm. which I think, unfortunately, a lot of politicians think is true, right, with legitimate rape comments and things. Um, but that's an absurd, right? So it's absurd to say that unless you have had a hysterectomy, <laughs> your body is fair game for somebody else's use. And by the way, one of the reasons that I, as a woman, am particularly sensitive to this consent law is because or this consent argument style is like, no, I'm sorry. The minute you tell me that a fetus gets access to my body without my consent, it's not clear to me why my consent is supposed to matter in this other case. And it's almost like you just generally don't think consent over my body matters all that much. And unfortunately, that's how most men think. Yeah. They, they just, I, I went to a sexual assault conference a couple of weeks ago, and I've heard like a whole bunch of stuff that I never thought of before. Like even when you think about men being raped. <laughs> You know, most men, especially you go, you're drunk, you wake up, a woman's on top of you. Of course, that's a good night for some people, but not if you want to maintain your virginity and right. didn't want that. And it's kind of, it's demeaning for people to say, well, you should have been happy with that. No, you should not have. No, you should not. Just like if someone raped you, you should be happy that you're pregnant. I mean. This is what I think about, you know, like the, the asymmetry that often happens with teachers assaulting young students <clears throat> is that often when it's a young boy, People are like, oh, that's probably getting, I think, like, no, it's still a, an adult assault in a child. Was that, have we had that conversation? We have not. I was talking to someone about that a couple of weeks ago because the, um, they said even the way that they report it on television, oh, if yeah. it's a woman having sex with a boy, the boy, it's always an inappropriate relationship. Yeah. yeah, it's not rape. It's not rape, it's an inappropriate right. relationship. And that, that's problematic on a whole lot of levels. Right. And what's funny is that, so we see the we see it with teachers. So if it's a male teacher and a young girl, we're we're more inclined to get our rage instincts right. going, right? But when it's Jeffrey Epstein, it's underage women in non consensual sex, which I think like is rape of children. Right, right. But that's o- but that's okay. Let's just give him house arrest. And right. Let him go. Well, look, this brings us to our first break. This has been a great conversation. <laughs> so uh, when we come back from our break, we're gonna talk a little bit about Brian's personal experience, which is. Y'all, you're not going to be ready for this. You're not going to be ready. But uh, we'll see you back after the break. Peace. AIDS Alabama is now doing free in-home HIV testing. That's Get right. how. Right. If you can't come to us, we'll come to you. Uh, a lot of people don't like coming into places to get tested. We will come to your house and test you there and give you the results. In your car. Or the park. Wherever you want to meet us, we'll meet you there. At the beauty shop. <laughs> <laughs> you you want to get tested, you can give us a call at 205-918-8184. If you'd like to make an appointment to get tested, go to www.gcbham.com. Okay, so we are back. Thank you for listening to, um, let me say this, uh, this is my personal podcast where I'm interviewing some really, really interesting people. I'm really geeking out talking <laughs> to Brian. She is, I love smart women. I love smart people, but I particularly love smart women because women get a raw deal a lot of times when it comes to <laughs> academics and just just being the beautiful creatures that you are so if you're listening to this podcast please be sure to leave us a comment uh like us on whatever platform you're listening to whether it's itunes soundcloud tune in radio if there's a place where you think we need to be and we're not let me know and i'll see if i get us added 
So, my really, really, really favorite conversation I had with you is your adoption story. Yes. So, people don't think about, um, especially in the South, we don't like to think about racism. We like to think that everything's fair <laughs> and everything's equal because, you know, the con- the Constitution said that all men are created equal. The Constitution says it right there. Right, right there. How could it be false? How could it be false? This right? nation was founded. Founded on those principles, you know, traditional Christian values. And that bullshit. Uh, <laughs> but even the, even though, you know, during the time of the Constitution, uh, black people were three-fifths of a person. And listening to your story about how you were able to do- adopt Ben and why you don't have a little white child, I realized that we're still three-fifths of a person. Oh, my gosh. So, so bad. So let's talk about that. So when I started the adoption process, um, a lot of agencies just outright wouldn't work with me anyway because I'm single. Um, some insist on a two-parent household. Some don't insist on a two-parent household, but the fact that I wanted to stay single suggested I might be a lesbian. And they did. They did oh, my, they, oh, my they, God. They did take issue with that. Um, he just he just fully like had a spit take here in the studio, which was great. So a lot of agencies just wouldn't work with me. Um, and... Uh, So there were two things. One was that I was single and planned on staying that way. And one was that... um, You might be a lesbian. I might be a lesbian. Um, And my budget was not like $50,000, right? Right. Which is kind of a... For those of you who advocate adoption as an alternative to abortion, know that like a starting range is $35,000 to $50,000. For the the, uh, adoption? adoption. Jesus. So my parents and I had a deal. Um, They took um, a certain amount out of their uh what did they take it out of their basically what i would have inherited my inheritance um but i had to cover the home study which alone was four thousand dollars plus fees for like fbi background checks and all sorts of stuff like that so it was a really really trying time um but when when i worked with these agencies um one thing struck me immediately, which was that some of the agencies that wouldn't typically work with single parents made an exception if the child in question was black. So there are agencies that have an in-principle commitment to the idea that children should be raised in a two-parent household. Unless they're unless black. Unless they're black. Right. In which case, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I mean, really. They're used to it. Um, so that's like the first place where you start to see that there's a different value assigned, right? And and I I reject outright the two-parent household insistence anyway i think you can have one i think you can have five i think you know it just doesn't that doesn't matter as much as other things but i think that once you make that commitment once your commitment is that children deserve a certain type of home then it's children (laughs) it's not the white ones um so that was the first thing the second thing was that i found that agencies some agencies not all i mercifully worked with an agency that was like a baby is a baby is a baby um, some agencies distinguished the fee based on the race of the child. So there were agencies that broke down. So the most expensive fee was for a full white, quote, full white baby. Um, and then you paid a reduced fee for a biracial baby. And then you paid the lowest fee for a, quote, full Close out pricing on black baby. children. Discount babies. Wow. Yeah. That's wow. The, the, my family, when I was telling my family this, I remember – uh, my sister-in-law just looking at me with these wide eyes, and she was like, "Ah, uh, are they going for BOGO next? Like, <laughs> right, what? buy one, get one free. <laughs> happening right now? Um, and then I found that it wasn't just, like, I wasn't just going crazy. Uh, at some point, pretty recently, NPR had one of these, like, tell us your story in six words or something. Right. And one of the people submitted, 
black babies cost less to adopt or something. Wow. Right? Like, wow. Um, I love that that feature, though. Yeah. The six-word story. Yeah. So uh, it, it was really um, – it was kind of horrifying. And, and it was more horrifying to me – it's horrifying to me in retrospect because, like, I knew I didn't want to work with those agencies, but right. my bigger concern was getting a baby. And right. it became very clear that it was – really likely that if I was going to get tapped, it was going to be to parent a black child. Um, and part of that is that, uh, this is me speculating, but I, with good evidence, um, black mothers who are placing their children for adoption have less negotiating leverage in terms of like picking who they're going to get, right? Their agencies are likely showing them fewer options. options. Right. The agencies themselves likely have all white parent, right? So um, that fi- that $50,000 is really prohibitive for a lot of black folks. It's really prohibitive. A lot. Um, and, and as a single parent, and I imagine this happens to, to black parents wanting to adopt as well. So the fact that I was single was very much framed as a deficiency. Um, and I imagine that happens for black families as well. And so the result was everybody that I talked to from start to finish was like, well, you should do foster care. You should do, and then you can adopt. And, the thing there were a couple things that bothered me about that. First, I just I wanted the same thing ever. I wanted I had the same selfish desire that everybody else has. I wanted to be a mom. I was not in this for some like I wasn't in it to help restore somebody else's family. I was right. trying to build mine. And it seemed like I was being encouraged to be actively dishonest with the hope that like it would work out that way. Um and it was encouraged as like well, here's a way to get what you want with it, right? With no focus on the children themselves. But you know, you know, with with us, because you know, my husband and I adopted my nephew who yes. was in foster care, and even though the foster parents were well aware that we were in the process of getting Maurice, like the day we took Maurice, oh my god, I felt like such a fucking jerk. Oh yeah, we we had made a deal with the judge that Maurice would stay with them through Memorial Day because it was like the last week in May, mm-hmm. and when the judge rang the gavel, he said, "Okay, you can take him home." I said, well, we had made a deal with them that they would keep him until Memorial Day, and then we hung him. He's yours. They knew he was leaving. Take him with you. And I was like, shit. And that woman cried. Oh, my God, Brian. She cried like she had given birth to Maurice herself. See, this is what I could not and do. Foster, that's foster could parenting. Could yeah. not do. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to be dishonest about that. Right, right. right. Um, and I knew that was still a possibility because I, I went through a state that had a 30-day um, revocation period. So it was still a possibility, but... Um, I didn't want to be involved in a situation where I was trying to pretend that my goal was to reunite my child right. with somebody else. Um, but yeah, so, and the other thing that happened was that I'd asked, um, so so you get asked a million times in the adoption process whether you have a preference about the race of the child. Okay. Um, it's like a, it's like a choose your own adventure, right? You pick the age <laughs> you want, you can pick the sex you want. Um, and... I said no, but I said, I don't have a preference, and I said, but I say that with no awareness of what is involved. And she said, and I quote, oh, it's really not that different. Because babies are babies. Because babies are babies. And these buy one, get one free babies are even even better. Um, And I'm still horrified that that was said. And then I had to do training on top of training, but almost all the training was how to basically navigate life with your Russian child who's been in an orphanage and has been deprived of, like, human touch and affection, which was not... Your situation. um, And not only was it not my situation, I was explicitly only doing a domestic, right? There was... But I had, you know... 
state laws are fun, so I had to do wow. all of that. And then, um, yeah, uh, so I got mad. I work. I found an agency that would put me on their backup. The, the commodification is so horrible. Uh, I found an agency that would put me on their backup list, so I couldn't pay full freight. I couldn't pay their fees. So they had like a backup list in case they didn't get a match right. in their in their for profit agents uh, their for profit list. And um, my son's birth mother was working with a different agency that was smaller and kind of boutique. Like their kind of specialty was actually working with gay and lesbian couples. Right. Um, and she, I don't know whether she didn't find a match there. I know she had a match before me that fell through. Um, and I don't know if it was at that agency, but that agency reached out to my agency. One way or another, my agency reaches out to the backup list. All I saw was like a baby boy due, he was due at the end of April, which like I'm a professor, that's, I couldn't have drawn a better day out of the <laughs> calendar year. Right. Um, and so I submitted my profile and she and I spoke on the phone the next day. And then she, in that phone call, she said like, he's her son. Um, and he was born 11 days later. Um. I think I told you when we were talking, it's fascinating to me that she, I thought that she might not want me because I'm a single mother. Um, and she, when I told her that later, she was like, people are single parents all the time. All Why the would time. I care? Right. But it's funny to me that it never dawned on me that it might bother <clears throat> her that I was white. Like it just didn't even. <laughs> right. Because I didn't think that was an issue. Right, right. Babies are babies, <laughs> Babies are babies, except for the, the bogos. I was a nice white lady. I was ready, man. <laughs> I was ready. Oh, it's hard. So let me ask you this. So back up a little bit. So um, did they, when they asked you about, you know, whether or not if you were, if you cared about the, the race of the baby, mm -hmm. And they took you to the Russian class. Did they give you a class on how to comb black kids' hair? No, <laughs> no. So you, um, no. I, I learned that in a, in a panic after he was born. I still haven't really learned that. And by the way, we have to. When this is over, he he wants braids, and I need to talk. Um, <laughs> but he, uh, no, no, they didn't. Um, I I I feel like there might have been like a list of books or something at some point. But no, there was frantic Googling when he was born, just frantic <laughs> crazy. Um, and it's funny too, because even the agencies that I would talk to while I was trying to find one, they, they, it's one of the first questions they always ask is, do you have a preference about the race? And when I would say that I was single, but that I didn't have a preference about the race, they would go, oh, well, that'll be easier then. Because they were going to get, they were going to give you a bogo kid. Because they're going to give me a bogo kid. Wow! Right. So wow. like, oh, well, you're not. And I think how many people are calling and saying, yeah, I do. The kid has to be, and a lot, right? A lot of people are calling and saying the kid has to be white, especially in Alabama. And it's hard, you know. I have complicated feelings about it because I would never change my right. My family is, I, oh, I love my family. I would never change it. But I do think like. I kind of wish somebody had tapped me on the shoulder and been like, it's going to be real different. It's going to be real, real different. So how, so I guess it is different just because of the cultural nuances. But, you know, one thing I can say is that if someone is going to, if a white person is going to adopt a black kid, I need the white person to be like you. <laughs> because you know what you don't know. Yeah, but I wasn't me six and a half years ago. <laughs> okay. So that's a big... It's a growth. Right. So so one way that it's different that I think is... Um, is that until the moment he was... I mean, like, until his hospital birth experience, race had not been an, a felt part of my lived experience, right? right? So, of course, it was a part of my lived experience, but I didn't... 
feel that way, right? Um, so tell our audience the first time. You, oh my God! Yeah, so tell bad, about you that. Guys. So uh, I got to the hospital and I met his first mother. Um, she was she was in labor. They, they had induced labor. Um, she was in the hospital with her uh, best friend. And I went in and she said, I should also clarify, it was not the hospital that was part of her birth plan. He came early. The hospital that was part of her birth plan specializes in adoption. And right. so it might have been a completely different universe. But uh, she was really uncomfortable, as you might be, in labor. Right. And I said, do you need anything? And she said, I'd really like a, another pillow, but they said they don't have any. And I thought, like, that can't be true. <laughs> that has to be 100% false. <laughs> so I went out, you know. I need to speak to a manager style. <laughs> I went out. Asymmetrical Bob. And uh, and I, yeah, for sure. My Kate Gosling. <laughs> right. So I went out and I asked for an extra pillow and two different um, nurses brought me two different pillows. And as they were propping her up, looked at me and said, where would you like them? And I was like, well, I don't know. Because I'm not the one. So, um, and then... She had an asthma attack during labor, um, and at that point, her best friend had gone. At that point, it looked like we were going to be there for a thousand years. So her best friend had gone home to get some rest. Um, she had an asthma attack. She was trying to convince them she was having an asthma attack. It's in her medical record that she has asthma. Right, this isn't a seek. I knew she had asthma. Um, I knew that was the one medical condition like right. listed in the. Um, and they kept telling her to take deep breaths, and so she was trying to explain. You can't because you have asthma. The funny thing about asthma, right, is. Um, and then his oxygen alert went off. And so then they were like, oh, she can't breathe. So they brought in a respiratory therapist who turned off her epidural to make sure it wasn't the epidural, did not tell her they'd turned off the epidural, and forgot to turn the epidural back on, which matters because later she said she was in pain, and they told her she was not. Um, and so it was a good 20 or 30 minutes from the time they told her she wasn't in pain to the time somebody realized the epidural had been off. But in addition to turning off the epidural and not telling her and then forgetting to turn it back on, as the guy was putting the mask over her, so they, they gave her a mask that, like, I guess pumped the medicine. My, my asthma lingo is not up to – but anyway. Uh, the guy held his hand on the mask on her face and turned to me where I was sitting on a couch literally drinking a latte and said, I know this is scary, but it's going to be okay. <laughs> Handmaid's tale. This is the handmaid's tale. Right. You're talking to the mother who, can't, who doesn't have the baby was, and ignoring the handmaid who's giving birth. It was so bad. It's the handmaid's tale. It was so bad. And then when he was born, um, she had an she had an adoption plan that was very specific, like a, a birth plan rather. And one of the things it said was that she wanted to be the first one to hold the baby. And the baby came out, and they immediately turned to me to hand me the baby. And then I, like any good mother would, I was like, whoa, like hands up. Like, no, 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 not my, this is kind of right. her jam. Um, and it turned out that she really did want me to hold it, that like something had gotten strange in the form or something. But I think she thought she was saying, I do want to hold him, but right. I, I don't have. Um, and then, so she said, no, 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 you, you hold him. And then, um, so I took him. And they, one of the nurses looked at me and said, what's his name, mom? And I thought, I'm not yet, like, I know in my heart I'm this kid's mom. Right. But in this room, I am not yet this kid's mother. Right. Um, his first mother is over there being sewn up. <laughs> so maybe just check in with her every right. once in a while. 
Um, they didn't. They did not move her out of the delivery room um, for long enough for me to go with him to get all of his like blood work and go get a snack in the cafeteria. And I came back up, and she's still in a room with all the like birthing things that happen on the floor. So we had another like I need to speak to the manager style conversation, and then. She had asked to be in a room that was not on the nursery floor. So she wanted to be able to see him, but she didn't want them to accidentally bring him right. in the middle of the night. Um, <clears throat> and so the first, so she wasn't on the floor. So the nurses in the nursery didn't see her. And she and I were the ones that had the wristbands for the nursery. And when she went to the nursery to see him, they said his mother has already been here, which I think is vicious, right? Like it's, it's unkind. Right. It, it's an assault. Um, and she took it better than I did, again, because she has been a black woman her whole life. Right. Uh, and I was a nice white lady who was like, for the first time ever, like, oh, your world is really different. <laughs> right? Because nobody in the nursery batted an eye when a white woman walked into the nursery to scoop up a black baby. Nobody said anything. And then, like, the woman who looks like him and literally just gave birth to him, they were like, wait, wait, wait. State your business. Wow. <laughs> What's your... So, yeah, so this is why... That was so bad. <laughs> this it is why so the bad. adoption system sucks, you know. And if people don't understand, like, even when you think about foster care, you hear about <laughs> kids who are killed in the foster care system. And, like, I don't know. Like I said, I just think they're worse things than not being born. Uh, yeah. I think that, too. I think that, too. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just, she, and I think the only thing that made it even quasi-manageable, or certainly the only thing that made it the case that I would ever feel comfortable telling you the story, is that she and I got along and still do very, right. very well. Um, so we clicked really well, and I think, um, she herself was adopted, and so she had really good feelings about adoption. Right. But it is funny, because I asked I mean, it's a weird thing to ask, but I was curious, like, why not abortion? Um, and the answer was that she found out too late in the pregnancy and lived in a state that had such restrictive laws about the fourth month. Right. Um, and she couldn't take the time off of work that it would take to travel out of state to have this proceed. I mean, and, you know, you just listen to a story that's like, because the system was stacked such that it didn't matter if I had a right to it, I couldn't right. exercise it. Can exercise it. Um, so, so you know, I, I you know, I'm a, so just being you know transparent. Mm -hmm. I was the person who, around like Christmas, Thanksgiving, those holidays, you, I'm usually at, like at a restaurant, and I'll see like a young black boy with a white man, and I know that he's either a big brother, big sister mm -hmm. oriented, or maybe a foster parent, and I'm like you, like I'm looking like. You mean to tell me we can't find one person in the community to take care of this kid? Right. Right. So we, so we pawned them off on some white people. And it really bothered me. And not that it wasn't, it didn't bother me that he was with someone white. It was, it was bothering me that there wasn't a sense of community or even the resources, even if you had the sense to do it, could you really afford to do it? Yeah. So here's the other thing. It might not be so troubling to see white parents with black babies if you saw black parents with white babies. But you don't, don't, right? So it might not be so troubling that people were so ready to adopt this, like, oh, race doesn't matter. Look, this is the new America. And it's like, really? 
<laughs> Show me the nice black man holding a little blonde girl. Not gonna happen. Do you have warm fuzzy feelings? Not gonna happen. I wonder if that if y'all know that happened, I wanna know if that's happening. I can't I can't think of I can't even think of a situation like so that. I can't either. And I had this thought, I think we talked about this, you know, uh I went to that stand as one rally after the Charlottesville mm-hmm. fiasco. Um and AL.com snapped a picture of me holding Ben and posted it next to a headline that said, like, this is what Birmingham looks like. This is not what Birmingham looks so like. So I thought, like, point to the school classroom that looks anything like this. And, oh, by the way, if this had been a black man holding a blonde girl, would anybody be like, oh, we have arrived in harmony and peace? <laughs> um, and so I wrote that to AL.com and... As you might imagine, the commenters were thrilled with my. But one of the things I was talking about is like adoption. The process of adoption is set up to favor white adoptive parents. The process of placing for adoption is set up to put pressures on black women. So you're going to see families that look like mine a lot. And you're not going to see the reverse. Um, And and people got into this fight about the the question. And then I read more about like the NPR. It costs less to adopt black babies or. Um, and there's this argument going on that strikes me as crazy about that's like, well, adoption is stigmatized in the black community. And I thought like, are you about to hold black people responsible for the fact that we've set up a system that commodifies their babies and sells them to white people, to nice white ladies? (laughs) Wow. Um, so that's an argument? That's an argument that that it's not so yes there are these barriers but it's also the case that adoption is not as well accepted in and I will say I get a little nervous every time I hear the phrase the black community. <laughs> Cuz I think like oh I you know the I the monolith. I, yeah I, and we're not a monolith but I can say more often than not. So so I don't think that's true at all. I don't think that's and, true. And, and let me tell you why. I think adoption looks differently in the black community than it does in white communities. This is one of the responses. Right. That it's often intrafamily instead it's of... It's always intrafamily. So, so let me just give you a, 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 an, an example. So like there was a family that lived behind us and there was a guy, we'll call him Rob. Rob grew up thinking that his grandma... His, his grandmother was his mother yeah. because his mother had him at a really young age. Yeah. But they socialized him into that family as one of the children and not one of the grandchildren. We do that all the time. Yeah. My grandparents adopted me. You know, we have my grandmother has a brother who, we, Uncle Pee Wee, and Uncle Pee Wee is not their biological brother. But, we, but he was a, the, the child of somebody my great-grandmother yeah. knew. And we do... We, and it's interesting because I was listening to this podcast on Seeing on Radio. You need to listen. You need to listen. It's called <laughs> Seeing White. Yeah. And they talk about the invention of whiteness. And they also talk about, one episode was talking about how money flows in white families differently than black families. And you brought it up in your example mm-hmm. with your parents. They said in white families, money usually flows from the parent to child. Yeah. So, you know, the parents may give you money to start a, a, a build a house, start a business, adopt a child. Yeah. Whereas in black families, the money goes in reverse. So once I've made it, then I'm trying to help my folks out. I talked to a friend of mine today, and that was his life. He feels like he needs to have a better job so he can help his folks out. Yeah. And the same thing is true with the adoptions. 
you know, adoption looks differently yeah. when you're black. You know, it's funny because even as you were talking, I thought like, no, it is different, right? So you're better at the village model than I am. You just are, <laughs> right? I My consistent failure is like, why didn't you call me? <laughs> that Bryn, is a consistent failure. Bryn, you were spiraling. You could have tapped in the other parents. Um, and it's funny to me because I do think like early on when Ben asked the question, is Tony my dad? <laughs> Your instant answer was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course I am. That's because I've been taking care of other right. people's children since I was 19. So, yeah. like, I'm 52 years old now, yeah. and I literally, for the last 30 years, yeah. and, 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 and it's almost like the adoptions that didn't happen. So, like, my uncle, my mom's brother, has a son who's the same age as my son. Well, my, bro- my uncle, he passed away earlier this year, but he was schizophrenic and on drugs. Mm. So that little boy needed somebody. So since my kid and his, and his they were cousins, yeah, first cousins once removed, they grew up like brothers because my yeah. my my nephew my my first cousin was with my son, right? You know, so I I took care of them until they got to their teenage years. You know, right. then I get these grandchildren. So I'm de- Papa Grandpa, yeah. you know. And so when Ben came around, it was like a natural thing. Papa Tony, Papa Tony, Papa Tony, you know, and Papa Bobby, and. Um, and that's what we call you. And uh, yeah, but it's the other thing I think is like people's preferences are shaped by the options that are presented to them. Yeah. And so I think if we live in a society that tells a narrative where like rich white people adopt and uh, also the savior narrative around adoption is infuriating. Right. So the first morning my son was alive, somebody congratulated me and said they start out so cute. They just need somebody to show them the way. The number of times somebody has commented that my son is so lucky, and I think, like, do you know anything about adoption? <laughs> do you know anything about adoption? Do you think I was, like, perusing babies in a grocery store, and I was like, I picked this one. Lucky him. Um, right? He was going to be fine. And, by the way, he would have been fine if he had been raised by his birth mother. Right. She just made a different choice. Like, and the stereotypes and assumptions people have about her just make me – want to put heads through the wall because right. I think like I don't think anybody thinks of it this way she is the mother of my child right. right so I get the protective instinct that I imagine fathers sitting in a hospital would get and that makes me crazy you know just the other day somebody asked him I was standing there but somebody said what does your real mom look like and Wait, was, was this a child it's a child it's okay, a child good, good. Um, although Adults have said it. They don't say it like they don't emphasize real, but adults will say like, "So where's his real mother? Why did why did his real mother?" Um, and so I said, "Well, I'm his real mom." But then I said like, "But he has two real moms, right?" So just a, a, a thing about I, Ben I, is that he has two real moms, and and two dads. Mercifully, and two dads. <laughs> he is like a picture of a modern family. Man. Um, but mercifully, Ben, I won't say her name on the podcast, but because we call her Mommy and then we say her name, um, he just casually, right? It's just normal to him. So he right. was like, Mommy, da, 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 and started talking about her. Um, and I, like, people have argued with me about the fact that I refer to her as Mommy blank. Um, but I think, well, she is her, like, I would never want to. I think that's the healthiest thing <gasps> that uh, that an adoptive parent can do. Like, you know, my, my Maurice's mother is my sister. Right. And she, you know, actively stays out of his life because she doesn't feel like she's that great of an influence. But I'm always like, hey, how are you doing? Why haven't we heard, heard from you? Because 
I think it makes the kid who's adopted feel worse when they feel like there's no connection between them and their well, birth parents. And what she said, which I loved, is she said, like, he will have questions about why I made this choice. He should call me. Right? That's the, like... When the time comes that he wants to because know they because they have the right to, about what I did. They have the right to know because if they don't know, then it goes into all these self-esteem issues. Like yeah. I wasn't good enough, so my mother gave me away. And and the thing about it is, and I tell people this all the time, for a person to give up a child. Oh my god! Oh my god! It, it, I, I so I was there when she was in. I, obviously, I was there when he was right. born. Um, and I, I watched it and thought, like, I I wouldn't. My father asked me later if there was ever a moment when I thought she was going to change her mind. And there really wasn't. Um, but there was a moment when I thought she should, right? Like, I was watching her give birth to this child, and I thought, like, I wouldn't, I would not. That's do a lot of shit to go through to right give away now. a child, yeah. Um, and it was, I mean, she. I, it's yeah I love her so much she there was a day that we were in the hospital that she had already been discharged and it was a genuinely sad day for me because she I mean we've seen each other since then but um to not have her there and I would never want my child to think that I think she doesn't deserve to be a part of it you know but it it damages I mean it really damages the child's psyche to feel unwanted <laughs> I remember yeah. when I was working in radio um, there was a, I was working with DHR and they were trying to get foster parents, mm-hmm. in particular black foster parents, because there are so many black kids who are in the foster system. Yeah. And one of my uh, co-workers, I found out during my, you know, batting around ideas to some of my co-workers, he was like, well, you know, I was adopted. And he goes, you know, my whole thing is people say that when you're adopted, that your parent didn't love you enough. He's like, my parents love me because they chose me. And my birth mother loved me enough to know that I couldn't give you the best things in life, so I want someone else to be able to do that right. for you. It's straightforwardly wisdom of Solomon. The right. reason he knew she was the real mother is right. that she was willing to, to, to give, give this up. up for the child. Yeah. And so I don't like, it's funny because the real mother question, often like in when you read accounts of adoptive parents, they get bothered by the real because of the idea that they're not real. And right. I get bothered by exactly the opposite. I get bothered by the idea that only one of us can be his real right. mother. And then when people are quick to, like, because I refer to her as his mother, people will say, well, you're his mother. And I was like, do you think I have any question about my place in this kid? <laughs> do you think that I am feeling fragile and insecure about whether, it's a, it's weird to correct it. People, The people project their their insecurities on you all the time. Yeah, it's a, it's a very strange, strange type of experience. But yeah, I, I read a quote once, and I'm not going to get it exactly right, but it was basically like, Adoption is the only trauma whose victims are ex- are told to be grateful. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, yeah, it's a really serious, I, it's so complicated and it's so, you know, uh, there's so many reasons I love having you and, and Bobby in our lives. And one of them is just like, pure survival mode right like i can't talk to him about how to interact with police i can tell him how scared i am right i can i can i can tell him that i'm worried and here's what i hope he will do but i need black men to talk to him about that and i need him to see black men who navigate the world um and i need him to know their it it, but like i had i had exactly zero of those resources (laughs) at the time that he was born and you know i moved I moved to Birmingham in part because we were we we had no resources, 
Um, and the thing that still stands out to me, which I told you about, was uh, a friend of mine years ago when this um, couple got the wrong sperm and their baby was biracial <laughs> uh, and they sued. Um, but one of the things they said is like, well, now we have to move out of our neighborhood. And I remember somebody saying, oh, you were fine raising a white child in an all-white community. And I thought I felt exactly the same. I thought like, oh, yeah, no, that's true. I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have thought twice about raising. And weren't they a lesbian couple too? Yes. So you who's experienced discrimination, and one would hope would not participate. Ba- in. Don't even get me started on the white gays. Um, but anyway, <laughs> but yeah, it's funny because like multiple agencies looked at my life. They looked at my social circle, which did not include black people. They um, they could have come into my home and looked at my book collection, which did not include black authors or right. stories where black people are centered. They could have gone to the church I grew up in, which did not include black people. They could have gone to the college where I worked. That was like, but somebody was like, oh, he'll be fine. Yeah. Wow. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you have Ben because because you have him. We have him. And I'm grateful. You know, he's so good. He's (laughs) so good. He's like the most amazing. Oh, I love him. Yeah, he is. So, look, this is uh, taking us to the end of this show. Thank you so much for sharing so much of your life with us. Uh, For people who uh, got questions, you know, inbox me. I can get in touch with Brian. Uh, If you have the space, if you have the finance, I say everybody who can afford a child needs to get one if you think you can be a good parent. Just because so many kids out there need to be loved and need to be in a happy home. So, this concludes this particular podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I love you. I <laughs> love you too. Look, y'all, um, check us out on all the platforms. Again, like us, share this with your friends, send in comments, send in show, so, send in show suggestions. Uh, I love talking about stuff and I uh, like having interesting people on. So this is it for this episode and I'll check you guys later. Peace. Peace.